Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your co-host, Cameron, and hanging out with Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing today, man? All right. All right. I'm Yeah. I'm on the road, so I'm up north and it's cold. That's the real answer to how I'm doing. It's it's just too darn cold. I'm in Philly right now. And uh, I love this town. It's one of my favorite towns. It's one of my favorite towns of all time, but not in the dead of winter. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm in Florida still, so I'm good. Right it's nice weather here. It's about 70. Um, sunny things like that. But we do have, it feels like it's been forever, but we do have a special guest today. Um, so I'm super are getting, excited. Are we to, getting replugged? Uh, are we replugged this week? Are we replugged? Yeah, we're replugged. We're not unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we replugging um, with but, this week? Uh, we, do, we do have, well, uh, his name is Benjamin Farrar. He is a privacy, security, and compliance, um, well, let's say expert. And uh, he's all really excited to have you on the show, Ben. Yeah, um, super excited to have you on the show, and uh, welcome. Great, yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, really, uh, really happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, Absolutely, welcome, welcome yeah. So we'll we'll go ahead and start off the show like we always do, right, Gabe? Let's Just tell it. us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, let's let's learn about where you came from. Tell us about yourself. Uh, yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so I'm the uh, director of uh, privacy, uh, security, and compliance at Active Prospect. Uh, Active Prospect is based in um, Austin, uh, Texas. And um, um, before that, I've worked in a number of, of roles and capacities, but they've all been around either uh, data privacy, uh, compliance, internal auditing, information security. Um, I'm not an attorney, uh, but I've ended up working with them uh, lots of times over the year and all uh, over the years and all sorts of um, other professionals in this uh, space. So it's an interesting collaboration. A lot of times these groups sometimes work together collaboratively. Sometimes they're sort of forced to work together. Sometimes they're trying to figure out how they can better work together, but they're all a real, a real uh, key uh, component and intersection um, for, for data governance and compliance and all the risks that each of those um, functions have. So that's myself. Right on, right on. I, I feel compelled because I'm looking at your background. I, I looked at it before. It, it is, it's fascinating to say the least, Benjamin. Um, there's so many places I'd, I'd want to dig into here naturally, but can I take you all the way back to the beginning for me, please? Tell me about your start in general. Let's get the origin. Yeah, story. sure. Um, that, yeah, that I and I do like to start with that. So that's that's perfect. It's you know, how did I get here today? So um, really, I've always been interested in uh, technology and 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 curious the way that things work. Um, computers, you know, early early online, uh, really at the beginning of the browsers um, and uh, tinkered a lot. And uh, when I was in university, which was uh, Louisiana State University, I was in a degree for uh, information systems and decision sciences. So in the business school and um, in that time, I also discovered uh, it was one of the few universities that was teaching internal auditing at the uh, at the student level. A lot of times you have to go out and sort of sometimes you'll find your way into auditing at different disciplines, but they taught that uh, right from the very beginning. And so um, had a unique understanding very early on about internal controls and sort of manual tests and how you can automate these things. Uh, and then um, after college, got a job at uh, a large uh, clinic hospital uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana, Oshner Clinic Hospital, um, in their billing and internal auditing department. And at that time, this, this theme continues, but I didn't realize data regulation would be such a part of my makeup and DNA, but they passed the HIPAA security and privacy rules during that time. So 1995, you're, you're taking us way back, aren't you? 
<laughs> well, well, the privacy and security rules were in 2003, so HIPAA existed before that point. But then there was a supplement then in in in, in, uh, in 2003 where they where they added these pieces. So um, that was one in which they were trying to figure out how are we going to take these important patient systems, have responsibility for security, have responsibility for controls, monitoring, who can view what. Um, and that was sort of the start of the first uh, big big regulation that set foot on our desk and said, let's figure out how to how to do this. Um, and then after that, a number of years uh, later, uh, took my uh, um, profession to New York City in financial services. This was the time when there was post um, SOX, lots of auditing and SOX testing for financial service clients. That was a real hot item there. So testing internal controls in different systems, large, complicated financial service companies, Got to have some monitors going, asking the, the, the tough questions to try to uh, draft reports so that you can pass those um, to the uh, accountants. Did that for a number of years in New York. And then New York is also a central hub for digital advertising and marketing services. And so then uh, I ventured into that space because it was a space that was uh, readily available, but also being threatened with lots of, of regulation and lots of data collection challenges. And so I pivoted uh, into that space and uh, at uh, WPP Cantar. And uh, that was fascinating, different companies and, and responsibilities that I had, uh, you know, privacy officer responsibilities for and uh, um, learning the market research space, which is always really interesting, a difference between advertising. And then which takes me to today, a uh, marketing uh, SaaS company, software based trying to do um, responsible data collection, help its clients. We're just a, a processor, a service processor, um, to do uh, responsible um, uh, the, you know, analysis of data. We could talk about what Active Prospect is doing, which is really interesting, transparency. But uh, yeah, that's been sort of the intersection always. Data regulation comes. Someone needs to help them figure out how to do this. It's part lawyers, part compliance, part auditors, part uh, developers, part technical individuals and someone tries to help translate or sort of interconnect all these different groups so that we can uh, we can build systems that are uh, compliant and, and follow the rules. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that introduction. Ben, that is a nothing short of exceptional career. I want to, I want to spend a couple seconds really quickly more than that and, and kind of dive into what you are focused on today, because unfortunately we've not on this show had the opportunity to really intersect with folks that are on the marketing side of data and security and privacy. I think, can we have like one other person on maybe most of the people we talk to tend to be, you know, maybe one or two, yeah. yeah, like policy side, legal side, technology mm-hmm. side, but certainly not looking at it from the way you are. And there's, there's two words or, or yeah, two words, one of them hyphenated that really jump out at me. Consent based marketing. I've never heard that phrase before, consent-based marketing. I think I know what it means, but, you know, ever since things like, you know, consent cookies and GDPR, et cetera, like that word, that word triggers me just a tiny bit, unfortunately, now, because like, you know, GDPR went from consenting to data collection things all the way to annoying cookie banners. And I don't know where on the spectrum of all of that I, I'm more or less happy with or displeased with. But I'm very fascinated by this idea of consent-based marketing and, and the consent of customers. What does that mean, though? Yeah, excellent, Gabe. Um, thanks. And uh, you're right. We, uh, Active Prospect, likes to uh, be proud of the fact we think we've, we've you know, we've uh, created the, the term consent-based marketing. And uh, a lot of folks exactly that same question. What does that mean? So we're trying to steer uh, marketers and interesting brands and, and companies into this space and saying, um, you know, it, there are certain industries or segments where it's really important for there to be a discussion or dialogue uh, where someone says, I need to request more information. It's not just a, you know, go to Netflix and then sign up and then you're logged on and you're done, right? There needs to be an exchange of, of, of information. Um, so someone's interested in your product or service and, um, traditional and new digital methods of outreach, right? This could be as simple as, um, uh, so someone, the, the way that it really works is uh, a lot of it are web forms. So uh, companies that say, I have a, they've posted a web page, they've got a web form, they pre- pre- presented their product and service and information, 
And then there's an area at the bottom that says, yes, I'm interested in learning more. Enter your name, email address, and a couple related, uh, 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 you know, uh, unique facts that may be specific to the offer service. And then the expectation that someone is going to contact me back. Could be by telephone, could be by text message, could be by email, could be uh, could be by postal mail. But the various ways which are specific to that uh, service to, to reach out. Um, and uh, in this space, uh, either companies will go out and attempt to do that on their own, or of course they can get into um, other parties that say, "Hey, we're familiar with your brand and your service. We can prevent, we can provide leads to you of people that we say are interested." Or in your product or service, right? So that's very enticing, and you know the the value of that can be sometimes fractions of a of a cent to create these names and leads. But when it comes to compliance and and, and legal space, the responsibility really falls on these companies if they outreach to someone who actually did not agree to uh, uh, be contacted. There's a lot of uh, you know, characters in the space is sort of the list generation, the aggregation of a bunch of online information and personal contact details. How do you know that someone is really interested in the particular product or service that's in your vertical? In the U.S., uh, there's some strict regulation called TCPA, which is the Telephone uh, Consumer Protection Act. And uh, that's actually existed for a number of years. Uh, but in this lead generation space, it is crucial because the liability uh or that can be class action lawsuits, and it's the responsibility of the company to prove it didn't do anything wrong. Uh, it's not really the, the other way around. So a lot of times, you, of course, you'll be familiar with all the other privacy regulations where there's this there's this you know, sort of the opposite concept that um, it can be hard to, to prove or it's the, it's the inverse of that. And TCPA is an interesting sort of legal component when you say, okay, someone just has to bring a claim. Someone could file a lawsuit and there's there's damages it can stack to federal and states are passing different laws in this whole space. And so you've got sort of two groups, right? You've got the valid companies who are trying to outreach, who, who need to grow and trying to do it responsibly and contact consumers who are interested in products or services. And then you've got, you know, the others who are, of course, you know, like we get these phone calls, right? The spam phone calls, the, the the robo calls that are dialing us with automated voices, and you're saying, "What the heck is 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 going on?" That's a clearly different space. The F, FTC and the FCC is trying to stop that with with the uh, with their working with the carriers. It, it's a real nuisance. But other companies who are in this space trying to do it responsibly are getting sort of caught up into this weave. And in the end, uh, the company just wants to contact someone who says, yes, I'm interested in this in this product or service. So Active Prospect has found it in an interesting space with some software as a service that helps provide transparency, that helps document the consent at the, at the time that it was collected. They can archive that. It can be used in their CRM. There's lots of different use cases and, and purposes for that. But um, yeah, I, they were one of the first ones, and I uh, was happy to, to join them because transparency really resonates with me. And I said, this is a group that's trying to provide some transparency into this space, giving views to, to clients and, and other parties about uh, where was this data collected? Um, what is, is there fraudulent activity? Were these bots? All sorts of windows into these things. So when a company does decide, yes, we're going to outreach these individuals we've collected from a list or on our own website, the compliance officers and privacy officers and and um, and legal can feel more comfortable uh, with with making these phone calls, text messages, and outreach, which are all potentially subject um, to to TCPA. Let me ask you a blunt question: There are no shortage of companies that I think already violate those principles and regulations. Why would they decide to stop on their own? That's I, I should I should definitely include the on their own. <laughs> <laughs> uh you're 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 absolutely right uh well there'll be a continued need to outreach to individuals and if you look at the cases that are stacking up the damages are getting very high so you have two groups you're, you're totally right you have groups who are saying i'm not interested in following the the rules i'm gonna you know uh, uh keep whacking the beehive until until i get stung right and then you've got others that say this is a core part of our business uh, we need to build a responsible uh, marketing and outreach or call center practice role. All of these are text messaging uh, platform. We plan to be here. 
clearly there, there, there are two sides of those. Um, we also uh, work with uh, uh, industry associations to draft standards to try to also carve out those things and saying, this is how responsible call center practices are working, or this is how responsible uh, marketing outreach um, uh, is, is working. And then you can also potentially point out uh, industries or, or companies that have no interest in following those and are just trying to whack uh, the, the beehive. But I'll also say it is a high standard. Um, TCPA is not always clear in, in, in what needs to be followed. So you can attend conferences and do deep dives with uh, uh, technical and legal experts that really, really get into the analysis of what is a consent? Did the person know what they were seeing, like the location of the terms, um, which always connects to the privacy discipline a lot because that's the stuff we do, right? We will actively debate, like, is this a fair notice? Like, did the person understand what they were accepting or, or, or agreeing to? So we're always challenging that that space here. But if, if companies need to uh, grow their customer base and they want to do it responsibly and avoid multi-million dollar potential uh lawsuits and they need to contact lots of people. I mean, even contacting your current customers. The risk isn't just trying to find new customers. Companies can get sucked into this by contacting uh, their, their customers when someone says, well, I'm your customer, but I don't agree to be contacted by this. So it can go pretty deep in a technical analysis, but uh, there are there certainly are those that they don't want to follow the rules. And uh, we want to, we don't want any part of those. And we want to make sure that, that they, well, that they know that uh, their standards, and if they're not following it, we can have some regulators that will be happy to have a discussion with them about their uh, practices. That's interesting. <clears throat> I had a thought. Two-question part. Um, kind of want to go back to your auditing history. Um, and you can answer this any way you'd like, maybe first or last. But what's been the biggest difference, you know, I guess pre pandemic and post pandemic and how audits are actually being performed today. But what's the biggest difference if you can, you know, kind of explain to the listeners and myself, what's the difference between a cybersecurity audit and an assessment? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so vastly uh, different audits, uh, the opportunity for remote, you know, so there's certain opportunity for, for cost savings. Um, but yeah, audits being done remotely, right? Providing evidence. Um, uh, you know, there has been a development in solutions and services out there that that uh, have provide have always provided you know more cloud services, more centralized dashboards where the the evidence can be dropped or it's it's ongoing, and then the auditors can so it it, it gathers the point in time as these things are happening, and then the auditors can come in uh, during their, their period of, of review. So um, uh, we use those services, uh, uh, Vanta being uh, one of those services that helps with our um, SOC 2 compliance, continuously monitoring throughout the year, and then presenting and providing back alerts um, to you. And then auditors uh, coming in, they can check in at any particular uh, time, but also critically, you know, during that, um, you know, annual or, or quarterly uh, review process. So, um, that's been huge. Uh, it's helpful for cost savings. It's helpful uh, for for the, the collection of, of, of evidence. But I'm working in cloud services, so that's certainly a benefit for that. I think other components or other disciplines of audit that are more physical, right? There's some interesting challenges, some observations of things that need to be done. Um, obviously, that work needs needs to continue, but some unique circumstances and things that uh, that those those fields had to do when it's what it's about observational um, observational uh, auditing well, would would be uh, different. And um, your your other question was about uh, it was about attestations versus certifications. Is that right, Cameron? Reviews, I think, is what he said. Uh, no, it was assessment versus, versus assessments. Audit. Yeah, assessment versus audit. Yeah. So um, assessments, uh, right? So. You've got your self-assessment. There's different lots of frameworks out there for information security or other disciplines where the first test is you're going to go in and you can do your own assessment um, of that activity. So this is the self-assessment. You're trying to uh, gauge before before you do the activity. Um, how ready are we to follow these controls uh, and, and, and um, 
policies and procedures. Next level is inviting someone in still can be an at uh, uh, an assessment, but you have sort of, you know, you you're not you may not be as critical of your own controls, but someone who's going to give you that first pass or saying, hey, I right. like to look at your controls. We're going to take a look at it from our understanding and discipline. That can be very beneficial because they're seeing multiple clients at the same time. So they have a better baseline of well, how how far are we? Right? Are, are we right. advanced? Are we in the middle of the pack? Are we are we are we below sea level? And then the final piece, uh, the audit, the the uh, independent audit, which can be by an internal audit function or uh, contracted out someone completely independent from the company, who's going to write write their opinion. So that's game time. No, uh, you're past the practice. You're past all the the the, the you know the, the playbook things, and now you're ready to say, okay, let's let's do this. Let's test this, and all the outcomes are going to be part of uh, the record. Uh, which can be reported publicly or, or, or shared otherwise. So that's the sort of three iterations of, of the assessment all the way uh, to the audit. That's great. Thank you for going into that. <clears throat> I told you guys I was going to twitch. <laughs> I heard some of those words. I didn't, I didn't twitch too hard. I wasn't expecting to hear readiness assessment come up like, oh, God, no, not that again, too. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that breakdown. Look, as someone who's been through a few audits, um, Including ones by my friends at the IRS. Thanks, guys. That was years ago. Um, it it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like you said they can drop in whenever they want. So they're kind of like child services. Can I tell you something? Oh, they're worse. <laughs> they're worse. I'd, I'd rather go through a socks or a SOC 2 audit than, than, than uh, an IRS audit any day of the week, right? And I don't like any <laughs> of those audits. Um, that's a helpful explanation, though, and, and kind of mm-hmm. delineation be, between them. Um, I, I want to ask a similar follow-up question to, to my last series of questions, though. Why would you do this if you weren't forced? Like, what, What's the benefit of, of doing this other than the obvious, like, I don't want to get fined? But again, I ask that question in the context of there are no shortage of people that either don't think about the fine or very actively, even if not out loud, think to themselves, eh, fine's not that bad. Why uh, do it? Certainly. So, yeah, I mean, I... I, I I guess uh, personally, uh, I've always, from my background, sort of, of of the way technology and things work, I like to know what are the boundaries of which we need to work in, right? What mm-hmm. what are the rules? What are the what are the components? What's the the overall sort of outline um, of of the box? Then understanding beyond that, there's going to be a lot of gray area and someone's got to figure out these 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 different pieces of, of, of what we're supposed to do. Right. Letter of the law, spirit of the law, letter of the framework. Like what are these 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 different components? Um, you know, risk management uh, has clearly become uh, a keyword in, in uh, data governance, in, in, in board discussions um, at all executive levels. Um, you know, do you understand uh, the risk that you're accepting, right? What's your appetite for risk? So I think those discussions are ongoing, particularly for companies that are trying to grow or build or create an industry or are in a really competitive space uh, because these things can be a differentiation, right? So um, it's not going to be the sexiest piece of, of what you can do out there. Uh, but, you know, having someone who's Who's asking questions? That's trying to find weaknesses constantly in in your in your technology stack and in your information security controls and your policies or procedures, like the basic mechanics of what you're supposed to do to to be a uh, a, a you know a controlled organization, particularly for IT controls or manual controls or automated processing. If you don't have those, it's going to be a lightning strike. It's only a matter of time. Uh, before uh, you get you get you, you get struck and you're impacted, but then secondly, uh, even you can have great controls and still get struck by lightning, and those things are going to help you recover quickly because you've already thought about disaster recovery scenarios. Like it's mm-hmm. uh, it's first, it's not fun to do the what if the following system goes wrong, uh, go, goes out or downtime, and then this one, and then that one, and those sort of the scenarios. Those aren't. Uh, fun meetings, we, we, we try to make it fun and say, let's just get creative, right? So it's a, one time of the day or one time in the quarter where you say, okay, well, let's think of all the worst case scenarios 
and some developers really get into it and like to really sort of you know throw more more challenges uh, at at the recovery space. But um, those are the reasons why you need to do it if you're a responsible um, organization. Uh, and and certainly um, recovery uh, and and like I said, in, impending uh, <laughs> impending weather storms and uh, uh, you know cyber threats are just not going anywhere. So this is a, a way to help. Uh, to respond, uh, to respond responsibly uh, in, in those uh, endeavors. Right on, right on. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, we haven't um, we haven't asked this question in a long time. I feel like it's needed. Let's say uh, for I mean, I in, in in your seat right now, if you had the decision to make this, but let's say you were given a hundred dollar budget um, for your privacy and security team. What what would be the first thing you would put that a hundred dollars into for that team and program or whatever? Yeah, that's uh, that's a tight budget. I appreciate the exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I do have some thoughts about that. Um, I tell you what. I tell you what. Double it, Cameron. Give him two hundred. I would have to get. I have to get. That's a hundred percent increase, man. <laughs> That's right. That's great. Sure. Right. Uh, the sweat's <laughs> off the brow now. Now yeah, the world is my oyster. I can ask for for, for anything. <laughs> um, I I I would say uh, obviously we're not going to get some technical solutions uh, for that, but I would say uh, we we could pursue some knowledge based solutions uh, that I would like to impart with with the team. Um, I've got a lot of certifications I like to. The discipline of studying for, for, for certifications, those are can go well north of 100, but I'll caveat and say some of those textbooks can be much shorter than that. So uh, I think a discipline that gives a good thinking of is the IPP's um, CIPP Certified Information uh, Privacy Professional, right? There's, there's uh, uh, books around there that take the discipline, which often is not, you know, particularly if you're in a technical uh, uh, space, how do we make computers or browsers or do these are these the software that we're developing? What are the bounds of what we're supposed to do? Right. I'll commonly say I'm not a legal expert. This stuff is about laws or this stuff is mm-hmm. about frameworks. I don't know what you all are talking about. I think that curriculum does a good job of weaving a few things, saying here's some legal stuff. Here's some components about regulations that you need to know about. And then syncing it with sort of modern day uh, technology. So that's a great one. Uh, also, uh, the IA Institute of Internal Auditing. Like I said, my understanding of, of controls. That's great. Um, you know, the, the certification for that and the textbook, I think, would, would fit within the budget. That's looking at situations that uh, are, are examples of, of what's happened in companies. They're very common. And then how does one evidence or prove those things are happening or not happening, right? Someone's got to come in and ask the, the questions. I think it's a great uh, thinking space. Similar to that from technical would be ISACA, right? So the um, systems or the certified information systems auditor, right? This is just taking that same knowledge, but now you're looking at computer systems. Mm-hmm. That would be more technical, but that's a great, that's a great um, book to peruse to understand that framework. And then the last one from the security discipline, um, the SANS materials are fantastic, uh, well north of, of $100, but you might be able to find uh, a textbook on, on eBay <laughs> in lots <laughs> of different disciplines. Um, but I've uh, always liked the way that they've um, taught information security, um, that they, uh, they you know, take it out on the road. They will, will, will do sessions online, which can be subscribed to. And then textbooks, right? So even when you leave after drinking from the fire hose of one of those, you know, six days of in-depth information about all different uh, security components, you leave with a nice six sets of, of books because you're never going to memorize all those things. But if you mm-hmm. invested the time and spent a number of days, you said, oh, yeah, I remember they've covered that. And then you can refer to that. So that's what would, would fill uh, my library book for uh, my library shelf for two hundred dollars. Let's 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 uh, thank there you, you for the for the hundred percent increase. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. it. It is it is the season um, of giving, Ben. It is the least I can do around this time of the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
feel the spirit. Thank well, Gabe, if, if you're if you're in the giving mood, I'll take a few from from you. Oh, if you got that bill. yeah. I just um, I just ran out of. It. So sorry. It's, uh... <laughs> hey, ben, what do you think the biggest misconception in our industry is? Since you deal with you know, on the marketing side, what do you think the biggest misconception with uh, data privacy? Um, and people that aren't in that realm. Yeah, good question. Um, biggest misconception. Well, uh, it's often not understood how a lot of technology works. I know a lot of the regulations are wanting their notice and consent language um, for it to be um, transparent and, and, and clear and uh, uh, written for the particular um, audience so that everyone can understand. Um, I think uh, professionals in our space obviously understand that's a really hard, hard thing to do. We're up yeah. to the challenge. But once you start breaking down, I mean, how browsers work, how the Internet works, how websites work, uh, cloud services, APIs, um, all the different iterations in which um, uh, data moves, the way data is analyzed, the way data um, uh, uh, it's, it, you know, can can cross borders, even just, uh, you know, backup services or, 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 or the analysis, the incredible unlocking of knowledge that we can do in modern times is, is pretty staggering, but the inverse is the responsibility is even greater, right? So right. Um, I, I, there, but we'll never get to that point of, 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 of really, it's a constant struggle to try and explain how these technologies work. I think it's fascinating, interesting, because I'm, I'm curious. So I, I like those discussions mm -hmm. within the topic of how am I going to translate this? And, you know, how would I describe this to, to my mother? Right. So how, right. how does this service work? How does, how does these, um, what's the, are there other parties involved? What's the secondary data use, right? That's always an interesting uh, component. I learned a lot about that in, in uh, like time spent in market research, right? And that's a group that was a, a, a nice and very intellectually stimulating time because they're trying to take data. They're trying to take insights. It could be for political polling. It can be just about products. It can be societal stuff. Um, and, and, you know, governments are, are investing and in trying to make investments to study citizens, what they think about X, Y, Z. And um, when you present the concept of secondary data use, like a researcher will say, well, I don't, what, what do you mean? Like I had this data set, this has elements that right. I can use for my immediate research. And then the privacy function responsibly trying to go on and saying, well, <clears throat> what was the original use for which this data was provided? Right. Did we attempt to convey that it could be used for secondary purposes? So I always liked um, that challenge. I know during uh, pandemic times, a lot of those rules were, or softened, and some of them were well. They were written in there saying, "Well, there's an inherent risk to individuals, so we can now combine different data set uh, uh, assets and and and, and uh, data because this was for societal reasons and purposes. Those components were were in the laws, but I always thought that was um, very interesting. So, secondary data use is uh, something that's in the forefront of of my mind, but I don't think it's certainly not understood when someone's looking at a big data set, whether it's research or not. Same thing for marketing, right? right? Oh, this is a great list of names for this. I can't wait to send out emails to all of these individuals for doing X, Y, Z. Well, we time out. We did not collect that information for that purpose. Right. You're going to get in some legal regulatory uh, trouble uh, by, <laughs> by doing that. So, uh, secondary data use. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Scott G. If uh, you get in any Secondary legal Scotty. trouble. Shout out to Scotty. <laughs> that's a that's, uh, general counsel that we know. We've had him on the show plenty of times. Um, Gabe, I don't know if you have another question, but I uh, wanted to see if we wanted to dive into Ben's. I had one last one. Um, and then data let's, privacy let's, predictions. Yeah. But, let's let's yeah. get into predictions. And if we have some time, maybe, maybe we can throw out some of those other questions that you normally save for the end. But I did have one more, though. Because one of the yeah. things that really strikes me about what you're doing in general and why I asked the early question about why would you do this willfully because I asked myself the same question before we, we got to speaking was what you're really getting at here too, is it kind of cuts both ways. You're getting at both consent and intent. When someone says, yes, I want to be contacted. There's also some inherent intent built into that. 
you know, from a, ah, this person has some need or at least is exploring understanding more. I think that has a significant amount of value too. Um, and, and I think the only real question there I have is how often do you see folks trying to, to understand that intersection of consent and, and intent? Because today I see a lot of solutions that really focus just on the intent part. I can't say I know any at all other than yourself that's focused on the consent part. But there's just this natural intersection of those two streets. They do not run parallel. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question, Gabe. So um, one of our solutions at Active Prospect uh, called Trusted Form, uh, which uh, will sit on a web form. Um, it is not cookie based, um, and uh, clients will will uh, contract with us to capture the consent to contact transaction, right? So we are just on that web form. We're not sidewide. We're not running uh, indiscriminately across all. We're not following the journey from someone's point A to point B or even on that website. Specifically focused on their the consent to contact transaction. Some information is going to be exchanged. And uh, we have a solution that is going to, as a, as a, as a third-party uh, independent service provider, capture that consent transaction, the date and time that it happened, the notice, the consent, what does the web page look like? We're going to save that and archive that for clients. Some of them will save it for five to seven years. Uh, and that can be appended into a client CRM. So you can go back and look. You can also do data analysis and insights about that consent transaction. So its first great use is in uh, a lot of TCPA defense. When someone says, I didn't agree to be contacted by this, uh, it's great. The trusted form certificate, you can present that. And we've been successful yeah. with clients getting cases dismissed because this is what happened a number of years ago. Now, your your analysis about intent is is really interesting because we've also been sort of kicking around that uh, question as well. So, I mean, we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, numerous consent transactions that we're analyzing and, and capturing and archiving. We only retain them for a certain period of time. It, it sits in a particular uh, window for a client to say, yes, I want to contact this consumer. They're going to add that to their solutions in CRM. We're going ar- to archive that for them. But since we have notice and, and consent and language, um, we've been playing around with insights and saying, like, what's the most common consent that's being written out there? Right? What, what are the words? What are the keywords? What's, you know, uh, uh, um, word clouds and all sorts of different uh, analysis. Is there just lots of borrowing, people saying the same thing? Or are they trying? What's the length of this? So we've been uh, playing around with that and, and look forward to, 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 to doing more, particularly focused on what is that stuff that, that was agreed to? What is the checkbox? What was the activity right there one, two, three, four, five years ago? You can see how has that changed o- over time? So um, we're right. in an interesting position with just that focus to say, uh, let's look at the consent transaction. The legal scholars and everyone else can debate the intent, but we're there to say this was what was agreed to. Because, you know, websites change, I mean, constantly, and there's no record of what did you agree to a number of years. And, and our solution is uh, is really great at specifically focused on capturing that, analyzing that for legal purposes, defense purposes. But I've been sharing that with my privacy office colleagues. Wouldn't you uh, like to know? If you have third parties that are collecting information on your behalf of consumers, what are they representing? And doing some analysis, you can quickly prune and turn off those third parties and say, nope, clearly you're violating of what you're doing. You're, you're promising things that can't be delivered. And the names that are uh, you know, coming from that way of gathering information are scrupulous. Um, incentivized, you know, not legal, all the sort of pieces and our tool can help them turn it off and say, snip all mm-hmm. those and, and stop receiving those. Right on, right on. Predictions. Let's do it. I will, I, I should preface that on, on the previous episode, um, we had a, a, an alter ego guest on, he, he goes by the name of the salty suit sayer. So know that that gentleman is, uh, <laughs> has, has already laid the groundwork for a couple of wild predictions. Um, so, so layer on a few more for our listeners. 2023, your top predictions in, in the, the privacy and security space, or just privacy. Sure, yeah, 2023. Um, I've been, I, I do like those end of the year, uh, you know, analysis of, of, of predictions. It's, a, it's an important time to think back of the previous year, look forward to, to, to the future. 
Um, I, uh, I think, I think privacy and security uh, are going to start working closer together. I think they, um, they need to. I mean, the challenges which we're having with data regulations, states passing different uh, rules and laws, there's data breach, uh, you know, incidents, there's triggers for, for, uh, for breach notifications and, and fines. So obviously we've, we've sort of forced our disciplines um, together. Security is responsible for, for keeping the, the, the lights on, making everything um, secure and, and running. Privacy is a, a different discipline. I think in organizations, and I know all organizations are, are, are different. We've seen those studies of where does the privacy officer fit? Should they be in legal? Should they be compliant? Should they be independent? Should they be part of the technology function? Shouldn't they? All valid. It depends on your particular organization and, and, and what, and what works. But I think, um, privacy officers uh, need to do more job of, uh, a better job of communicating what is privacy for our security, uh, colleagues. For their, if you're in a, a software space, for the, those uh, developers, what is privacy? Going back to privacy principles and teaching those things, uh, and and the the these groups got to work um, together, right? For all of our professional success and company success, um, no one group is is going to lead. It can be super secure, but then there might not be any analysis or use of data or secondary data use considerations. Um, and then if there's a, a, a privacy incident, which someone didn't realize they're violating, now that's become a security and, 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 and legal problem. So um, I'm going to say in 2023, I'm cautiously optimistic um, that our, our two disciplines, which have always been orbiting the, the, the planets, right, but are going to try to start working uh, closer, um, uh, closer together. I like that prediction. We're going to see privacy and security start working together a bit more. And, and what you're banking on or hoping for is that that'll largely be driven by the privacy side to pull everyone else into the into the fold. I I will tell you that you're cautiously optimistic is why this, the suit sayer is salty. It's just a lot shorter to say salty than cautiously optimistic. Because I'm with you. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point, though. I like that. Yeah, yeah for sure, Gabe. Yeah, and, and you should always challenge those. Uh, uh, methods of, of thinking, right? We, we need a salty, a salty <laughs> to make sure we're, uh, we're, we're staying. <laughs> Which reminds me that <clears throat> I think I'll, I'll dive more into because we have a part two that we're going to do for the following week um, for the predictions. And I just thought of one that might be super interesting. So I think I'm going to keep it to myself, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it does have to do with gaming, the gaming realm and kids and younger generation, I think there's going to be, I have some predictions in that area when it comes to privacy. So, um, cause that's getting more and more, you know, kids are getting yeah. more and more just younger yeah, yeah. and able to do more on our technologies and gaming space and YouTube and just everything. It's just, it's crazy. Um, but I do have some fun questions before we let you go, Ben. And before I get into the fun question, just want to ask, is there anything that we didn't bring up that you wanted to bring up on the show that, uh, that you just wanted to tell the listeners about? Um, well, uh, if they're not familiar with consent-based marketing, they should certainly uh, visit Active Prospect uh, and learn more about our interesting uh, solutions and, and tools. I mentioned Trusted Form. Um, mm -hmm. We also have another solution called Lead Conduit. So folks that are in that space that are analyzing and uh, looking at leads. Uh, it's a great tool to keep your cost down. Folks that are in that space of lead generation know the term of, of cost per lead, and that's something that is, is a constant term that's being analyzed. So it's a great tool for analysis and, and transparency and doing real-time um, determinations of what data that you should or shouldn't allow uh, into your marketing um, ecosystem. So uh, yeah, plug for, for them to, uh, to check it out. Yeah, awesome. we can share awesome. that in the link. Of yeah, the show we'll notes. Put that in there. Um, like I downloaded so, it myself, so I Louisiana, right? That. <laughs> now I was going to say Louisiana. Um, I don't know. Are you a native to Louisiana? I am. Yeah, uh, born and raised in Louisiana. Um, Active Prospect is based in Austin, Texas, so we're neighbors. I'm a, a 
fortunate uh, to be uh, uh, yeah, their, their neighbor to the east. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, born and born and raised in Louisiana, spend my time in, in New Orleans, which is always a great uh, place to uh, visit um, culturally, yeah. musically, uh, gastro-wise <laughs> food. Music, uh, all, yeah. All sorts of, uh, you guys got a killer basketball team yeah. this year too. Go Pelicans! It's great. Yeah, it's great. I was I was going to ask, what is your favorite local spot for food, and what what's your go to meal? What do you usually get? Yeah, wow. There's so much. Uh, there's so much <laughs> good food here. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I guess one of the there's a lot of places that do. What's nice? They're just um, it's common here. There's called blue blue plate specials where there's a different sort of dish each day of the week. And it's, it's a special. Um, if you haven't had um, one of the sandwiches here, which are called pull boys, those are fantastic. It's done on French bread. This could be fried seafood or, or other, other, other delights, but uh, uh, they are so good and uh, wrapped in wax paper. So highly portable. You might see someone sort of, you'll see the French can around their baguettes here in Louisiana. See someone with a little, a little paper wrap sandwich. It looks like say, if you're not for me, say, why is this guy carrying a bunch of rolls of wallpaper? It's like, no, right. those are some sandwiches that he's uh, bringing home. That's the long, the long uh, French bread. Uh, that's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. That sounds good. I, I was telling Ben off offline. Uh, I hadn't been since like 2015. So it's been a while. Since I've been Same. in New Orleans. I have to get there too soon. We were just talking about that. And it has been easily that long for myself. I find yourself in I find myself in the neck of the woods, Ben. We'll we'll be looking you up. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. <laughs> Last question here though. Um what what's your favorite current TV show that you just blows your mind that you just want to share with everybody that if they haven't seen it, go see it? <clears throat> yeah. Um and why is I've it the Smurfs? Found, <laughs> found in in in, pan, in post pandemic times. Uh, I like uh, uh, programs that are uh, you know just I guess darker or the, the features uncertainty. I've really been enjoying that program on Apple TV C uh, with the uh, oh with the, yeah, yeah, yeah the civilization um, who everyone on planet Earth has lost their sight. And they've, uh, you know, they, so it becomes, it's, it's, it's in the future, but of course they've moved back to, if you can't see, how would you protect yourself? How do you gather? How do you do all of these sort of, uh, components for just being a civilization and, uh, which is really fascinating. And then the, uh, plot becomes more interesting where a few, uh, people start to get sight. So what does that happen? So it's the inverse. We all have our, our six senses. But then are the sighted at disadvantage um, because the unsighted have become so uh, yeah. it, it's yeah. the inverse. And that just, yeah, uh, invokes a lot of questions and uh, is, uh, I think, really cerebral and interesting to watch. Yeah, it's yeah, been see. on my list. It's been on my list. It's got that Samoa guy on it, uh, whatever his name is, Jason That's Samoa. That's right. Jason Samoa, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah, it does look interesting. I'll have to check it out. Um one that I saw, I don't know if you've seen it yet, is Severance. Have you seen that yet? No, haven't seen that one. Oh, that's Apple TV as well. Yeah, yeah, that's Apple TV. If you like dark and sci-fi, go watch it can, now. Can I help you? It's slow. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh. I, I also happen to have watched that show, and Cam knows, and our listeners are like, I don't watch a ton of shows. It's a great show. I no. might wait for season two if I were you, though, right? Like, because I'm sitting here anxious. Like, I swear, if they don't put out a season two, I'm never watching another streaming series again, right? <laughs> yeah. So, because I'm going to be so disappointed. Like, that's how good it is. Like, I'm going to be upset if there isn't a season two. Mm-hmm. So, I would suggest it. No, they're they're no filming man. it already. They're filming it. <sighs> All right, that's good. That's good. I go ahead, go ahead and pick it up, then, Ben. I think. Yeah, it. they're filming it, but. <laughs> It's it's phenomenal, man. And especially if you're a dark sci-fi type, but it's it, the premise of it is that you know we all we all wish that we can leave our work at work and go home and just be home. So it's basically about um, accepting a job where they put a chip in your head, and basically you are two separate people at home and at work. So you don't even know the person at work, and the work work person doesn't know the person at home. It's awesome. That's a cool premise, yeah. That's got legs. Yeah. That, that and it's, it's got a lot yeah, of it's legs. It's directed by uh, <laughs> Bit, 
Um, but it's it's just really cool how they wrap things together. It's got uh, some really good actors in it too. It's got um, Christopher Walken. Um, there's Ben Stiller's the director. It's uh it's so good. It's so good. Put it on the yeah, list, people. Thanks. I will. I will. All right. Well, well, Ben, thank you for your time pleasure. today. Seriously, man. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And uh, listeners, I know do as well, and uh, just appreciate what you do every day and. And thank you for coming on the show. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you very much and really enjoy the content uh, that uh, you, you, you both do and, and bring together, whether it's quick topics, quick uh, elements, and then just the interviews. So, yeah, keep on doing what y'all are doing. It's great. Thank you. I know. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming awesome. on the show, Ben. Hey, we're going to drop those show notes like we mentioned. I was going to mention a second ago, your team actually has like a little paper on like what is consent-based marketing because I myself was wholly unfamiliar with it. Um, I'll drop the link to that too. It's uh, I, I find it fascinating. I, I like where the world is moving when people like active active prospect um, start showing up to, 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 uh, to the table, right? So keep doing what you guys are doing over there. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out. (laughs) 